This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone, and thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Wednesday, January 26th. There's a lot going on across the country, still seeing some cold spots for our listeners out in the eastern Corn Belt, but folks out west, it looks like it might be getting a little warm, might have a little thawing as I look across the high plains this morning. Something to look forward to, folks. We've got a big show coming. I hope you're looking forward to as well. We're going to talk to Darren Newsom about what's going on in the markets and what to expect, perhaps, with the Federal Reserve meeting coming out at uh, 1.30 this afternoon. And then we're going to talk with Wayne Brow. He's with the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. There's a bill in Congress right now that is maybe showing some light on how Congress is changing their perception of antitrust and market competition. At the end of the episode, we're going to talk with Todd Neely from DTN about uh, some Supreme Court cases and some action on Proposition 12 in California. So stick around. But first, folks, some changes are coming. If you're looking to get a CDL here perhaps this year, well, there might be some uh, some additional work to get that done. To talk us through what is changing, Norita Taylor, the Director of Public Relations with OIDA, the owner-operator independent, independent Drivers Association, joins me. Norita, entry-level CDL drivers. This is a new rule taking effect soon. Bring us up to speed, if you would. Sure. So this is something that has been in the works for a number of years, and the long and short of it is that if you are seeking to get a Class A or Class B CDL for the first time, or if you're seeking to upgrade from B to A, or if you're going to add some endorsements like passenger or hazardous materials for the first time, then you're going to need to go through some training requirements before you can take your test. That was, that's the long and the short of it. Well, Narita, if you would, f- tell us a little bit about what the training requirements are. I know OIDA has pushed for this for quite a while. Did you end up uh, getting what you were hoping for in how this training is going to proceed? <laughs> well, um, it, our take is that it's a good start. Uh, it, it was years in the making. It was what was called a negotiated rulemaking process that took place about five or six years ago. And like I said, it's a good start. There is a series of curricula listed on the FMCSA website, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. But to answer your question as to what, did we get everything we as an association wanted, we would have preferred to see some minimum behind-the-wheel hours as a standard requirement. Now, there are some behind-the-wheel requirements uh, in the curricula, but we would have liked to have seen some minimum hours in there as well. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that's not there. So is all of the training going to be in classrooms or or virtual, I mean, sitting at a desk type training? Um, Well, there's a combination of uh, what's called theory or curricula, and there is some behind-the-wheel skills and proficiency. What I would recommend to listeners that are wanting to know more, especially if they're planning on being a training provider, is to go to the FMCSA's training provider registry because that's that's a real important thing to understand is that any trainers are going to be required to register with the FMCSA as certified trainers and the website is really easy to follow they've got all kinds of FAQs and everything's really well organized and I highly recommend that you go and visit that website. And folks, thank you for bringing that up, Norita. I just found that website on the FMCSA site. And folks, I'll be sharing that link on our Twitter and our Facebook page. So you can follow the show there and see it. Norita, um, I understand this is also going to impact costs. It's going to be a little more expensive, or at least there are some costs to getting through the training. Uh, Do you know what the, the ballpark of those figures look like? Or is it per trainer setting their costs? It's, it's, it's going to 
depends on who you go to. You know, there's all kinds of ways to be a provider. There's all kinds of options. You could be a provider as a motor carrier, as a community college, as an owner-operator. So it, it depends on how that, uh, that provider puts their materials and their training together. So I'm, I'm going I'm to say I don't know uh, the specific cost or, or cost range. But, you know, like I said, this is something that we think that um, is important to the profession, important to the industry in making this a, a career choice, a long-term career choice instead of just something that people get in and out of with all the high turnover that I'm pretty sure your listeners are um, aware of. Yeah, I think uh, I think everybody is aware of the challenges. I mean, it, it is tough to find truckers. That's something we've talked about on the show, Narita. Is, is this the time to be potentially delaying the arrival of, of new entrants into the trucking market? Or or maybe should this have been delayed a year? What, why was OIDA pushing for it right now? Well, we've actually pushed it for it for years, and it, the, the training rule was actually delayed for two years. It was supposed to have gone into place exactly two years ago, and the association has pushed, pushed for training minimum training standard requirements for decades, and it finally took a lawsuit against the FMCSA quite a while back to get them to move on that, so it's something that we think is long overdue instead of something that should be delayed. Well, that's uh, that is true. And basically, the idea here is is making the roads safer. I mean, there's there is a lot of turnover in trucking. So hopefully, get the new drivers trained on on how to operate more safely and set them out on the road. Is that the goal? That's that's the goal to make it the profession something uh, that people can look forward to, people will stay in, people will feel valued, paid for their time, paid for their value, just making the profession more desirable as a career choice. And uh, Narita, since we've got you on the line, I wanted to ask overall, the trucking industry, it's been a very busy year. What, uh, what concerns have you heard from truckers out there on the road throughout this whole COVID pandemic? Well, you know, one of the biggest things we've heard about <clears throat> is the uh, shortage of parking, and that's something that we're working on as an industry, and, you know, as an association, trying to get uh, additional parking because we know that that's a big challenge. And that's something that kind of ties into the supply chain as well because if people are using up a lot of their hours trying to find a place to park as opposed to actually being parked, that's eating into their available hours of service time. And we want to make sure that people are safe, they find safe places to park instead of using all their time trying to find a place to park. Absolutely. I mean, that's a huge issue. Uh, Norita, I know that OIDA was up on Capitol Hill talking to Congress about this. Was there any money in the infrastructure bill for parking? Well, no, there wasn't. There originally was a uh, billion dollars in the highway bill, but that didn't uh, end up getting uh, into the final infrastructure bill. Gotcha. So now it's a fresh battle for appropriations with Congress. Did you get some uh, some good feedback from the folks in D.C. at least when you're bringing this issue up? We, we do know that there are lawmakers concerned about it and listening to us, but we just need to keep pushing. We need, you know, listeners that are truck drivers out there, reach out to your state and U.S. lawmakers. Make your concerns known. known. Absolutely. You know, listeners, a few weeks ago, we had Professor Bobby Martins on the podcast, and he said if all the drivers could get just 20 more minutes a day on the highway, we'd eliminate a lot of this driver shortfall. Norita Taylor from Owida, thank you so much for filling us in on what's changing with the CDL. Thank you so much. And folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking to Darren Newsom when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
recently on Agriculture of America. John Holzman, he's the geopolitical strategist and managing partner at John C. Holzman Enterprises. John, let's talk odds. You mentioned you see Putin making a move. If you had to lay a, a figure on it, would you say it's over 50 percent? I do. It's about 60. It's not a sure thing, uh, but it's more likely than many of my competitors are saying because Putin can do it. He wants to settle the matter of Russian nationalism. He wants a borderline of states sympathetic to him from Belarus through the Caucasus, through Ukraine, and into even the Balkans, as well as the Middle East, to protect Russia, Mother Russia, from possible invasion and to keep the West farther away. And that's how Putin looks at the world, again, like a Russian czar. And it sounds like the Ukraine would fight in some capacity to repel an invasion, but it could be quite a battle. It could fight, and its army is much better than it was in 2014. It's much better trained, but the Russian army is superior. For the information important to rural America, join us on Agriculture of America. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in today, ladies and gentlemen. I did just want to remind everybody, we were talking to Norita Taylor in that last segment about the changes coming to the entry level or entry driver CDL. Those changes take effect on February 7th. So if you're looking to get a CDL or upgrade your existing CDL and you don't want to take the training, get it done by February 7th. That is the deadline as it stands today. If that changes... We'll keep you updated, of course. But one of the things that is changing all the time, folks, the volatility in the markets persists. Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis is joining me today. And Darren, there's a million places I could start this discussion, but I know at your heart, you're a Kansas wheat guy. So let's talk about this wheat yeah. market down big today. What's going on? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, it's an incredible move, uh, and it, it's a little bit of a head scratch. Okay, certainly, you know, far western Kansas did see, uh, you know, in some areas saw more than two feet of snow overnight through early Wednesday morning, and so you know the idea is that this could likely put pressure on the new crop July contract, and you know it's down 23, 24, 25 cents. So, but we have to keep this in context. I mean, since Friday. Uh, what, January 14th or 21st or whatever it was, 14th, we've seen July Kansas City rally 95 cents. So it's still dry. There's still soil moisture deficit across much of the southern plains. It's a nice snow. Uh, there's no denying it's a nice snow. Will it be a game changer? You don't make or break the winter wheat crop in over the course of the winter, despite the name. So it's still going to depend on what happens this spring. Right now we're getting a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, not just to the snow uh, in, in the Kansas City market, but also to uh, you know the, the big rally that we've seen. And the other question in wheat, obviously, is the Chicago market. 
To me, that's more a reflection of what's going on on the Ukraine-Russia border. Uh, and it's inter- and it's fascinating to me today to see the type of, you know, 30-cent sell-off in March Chicago, big trade volume, big trade volume overnight and through the early part of Wednesday morning. Does the market know something that's going on right now on the border that the news hasn't caught up with yet? That'll be fascinating to watch. It will. And Darren, you touched on big trade volume. I was going to ask you, have we seen outside money look to the Chicago wheat contract as a way to, you know, maybe purchase a little upside risk? Should some bullets start flying? Yeah, I think that's been the driver. I think that's been one of the drivers because, you know, it's not horribly dry across the U.S. Midwest where soft bread winter wheat is grown. And it's the third largest class of wheat in, you know, raised in the United States. So it's not like it's the major wheat market here. It's just the world's largest wheat futures market. So uh, traders from all over the world, hedgers from all over the world, look to the Chicago market to offset risk or to play on the investment side. So it has drawn some investment money of late, and certainly some of the rally uh, is tied to what's going on over uh, over in Ukraine. So you know to see the market all of a sudden break 30 cents and to me this could be a vacuum trade as well where we've used up all the buy orders and now it just falls back looking for the next set of buy orders once some selling comes in you know there's a lot of possibility there's a lot of things going on over in the chicago wheat market that don't necessarily have to do with immediate supply and demand Gotcha. Well, you know, you talk about the volatility during that 90 cent move in wheat. It was only a week ago we saw a similar move, a 70 cent move in the soybean markets. Pulled back. We're moving back today. What's driving us? Do we get some dryness back in the forecast in South America? It doesn't matter. This is the fun thing. Everybody wants to talk, oh, did it rain in Paranon? Did it do this? Mato Grosso, blah, blah, blah. Argentina, Uruguay, so on and so forth. Bottom line, none of it matters. It's irrelevant because the commercial side of the market is telling us they're not convinced there's going to be enough production, regardless of rain, regardless of dryness, to improve the global supply and demand situation. I mean, the May-July future spread, when most of the crop will be accounted for, the South American crop will be accounted for, that time frame is still a very weak carry, only covering 19% calculated full commercial carry on the grand scale of things. 33% or less is considered bullish, and it's only at 19%, very small carry. So the market is concerned. Basis, national average basis for the United States continues to be strong, despite the fact that we've seen some cash sales from U.S. producers who've been holding on to soybean, letting go with this rally. Basis is still strong. So there's, a, there's an underlying theme to this market, and that is it doesn't matter really what the production is. The, the view is it's just not going to be enough. With it not being enough, Darren, even assuming, you know, we get some rain, blah, 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 all that stuff happens down in South America. Is this $14 then the price point until we see what U.S. acreage looks like? Is this the reference point, well, I should say, for most traders? You know, it's, it's just a number because, you know, as long as the fundamentals stay bullish, it's going to be viewed as a buying opportunity. And so when we have sell-offs in stock markets, global stock markets, uh, you know, that money is going to be looking for somewhere to go and it's going to be searching out bullish markets and the oil seed complex as a whole right now has bullish future spread. So it's going to be an attractive buy. Uh, is, is $14, you know, does that make any difference? No, because I mean, it could go higher, it could go lower. Uh, it's just a number. And you mentioned Anchorage and we'll get what's, what's fascinating about this is I believe it's a week from today. We will know what planting expectations are because it's Groundhog Day. Remember that. Punxsutawney Phil tells us what the acreage is going to be, and it's the most reliable, far more reliable than what happens at the end of March. Darren, I do love talking to you, Darren. And I, I want to pick up on a uh, something, a comment you made right there, that the equity sell-off yeah. is happening. We're seeing the end of the Fed put. They're potentially scaling back their equity or asset purchases here. The Fed action, Darren, we got the meeting uh, this afternoon. What do you think is going to happen here? Have you been doing some tea leave reading of the Fed? Well, the thing is, we don't have to do tea leave reading because they've been telling us. And, that's, and, to, and to Chairman Powell's credit, okay, maybe the Fed has been slow to react to overall inflation. They didn't want to start a, you know, a, a riot or a rush of any kind. So they've been slow to react. 
But it's not like he's going to all of a sudden, uh, Fed Chairman Powell is not all of a sudden going to drop a bombshell. We know what the game plan is. It's not going to change. We're going to see incremental uh, increases in the Fed fund rate. That's going to happen. We know that the, that the purchasing program is going to slow. It's, it's factored into the markets at this point to avoid the situation of, of a panic. Now, Darren, with that being the case, do you see the dollar getting stronger as we go through this year and the Fed starts to you know, shore up their balance sheet? You know, theoretically, that's what should happen. Uh, and the dollar has been interesting. It's been trying to firm. It's been firming again this week. When it comes down to technicals, we're getting all these different mixed signals. But from a theoretical point of view, if we do see the interest rate increases over 2022 that are expected, the three, four, five, six, whatever it might be, that should provide underlying support to the dollar. But then the question becomes what you just asked or what we just talked about, is it already baked in? Have we already strengthened the dollar based on the idea that, we, that the Federal Reserve was, is going to increase its rates. And that's where it starts to get interesting from a technical point of view, is if this is already baked in, what comes next? What comes next well, for the dollar right now? Plenty of support. Plenty of support. Darren, I want to get your thoughts on the livestock markets, particularly hogs. We had Dennis Smith on the show yesterday, and he thinks this market could be interesting here as we get towards summer. What's your read on the technical look of the lean hog market? From a technical point of view, there is no read. This thing is all over the place. You can tell it's the offshoot or, or the long-lost kin of pork bellies. It's all over the place. Uh, but from a fundamental point of view, we've seen a lot of commercial buying coming back into this market. And that's, in, and that's interesting because it has been under pressure uh, here over the last couple weeks, last couple months. So to see this week to have the commercial side jump back in, uh, to me, it was an interesting development. Now, they're selling again today on, on Wednesday. So longer term, we could still be looking at the possibility this market has peaked. Commercial traders are going to continue to put pressure on the market. Herd size continues to grow, all of these things. But from a technical point of view, I'm just not getting a real good read on hogs right now. It is crazy how how volatile that market has been. Darren, we did not mm -hmm. discuss the corn market very much. We're down slightly so far in trading today. Are we just following the wheat market for direction here in the short term? Uh, I, I, I hate to think so because it just it seems like so much of a cop out. Uh, the, the reality is corn has corn doesn't have a lot of reason to do much of anything right now. Fundamentally, it's bullish. Non-commercial traders are looking for a reason to buy back in. Uh, maybe they need to liquidate some before they do that. Yes, they could be following wheat, but you know they realize wheat may not be the best thing to follow. All right, lots to keep an eye on in the markets, Darren. Thank you for giving us an update. Always appreciate your insight. Well, thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, when AOA returns, we'll talk to Wayne Brow of the R Street Institute about Senate Bill 2992. Stay tuned to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best authors. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
Well, it's day three of risk-off week as traders fret about increased geopolitical and central bank risk. However, the market seems to have priced in the perceived risk to this point, with stocks starting to find at least a temporary floor yesterday, while many of the commodities are consolidating recent moves as well. We'll learn more about the Fed factor this afternoon while the geopolitical risks continue to play out over time. Now, winter wheat prices had rallied roughly a dollar in 11 days, largely on the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Now the debate is whether that is enough or not. The answer to that question hinges on what happens going forward, but the recent sharp gains provided too great of temptation for some traders to take profits here today while they monitor the headlines. We've seen profit taking through the overnight, continuing here into this morning. Now, on the backside of that, corn supply is vulnerable as well to the geopolitical issues in the Black Sea region. We're watching that, but corn is caught between the Russia-Ukraine conflict and South American weather, which for now is less threatening than it was a few weeks ago. Current numbers, March quarter up two and a quarter, 622 and a quarter. July quarter up one and a quarter, 615 and a half. March soybeans up 11 to three quarters at 1419. July beans up 11 at 1431 and a quarter. March bean meal up 330 a ton, 395.30. March bean oil up 74 points, 63.25. March Chicago wheat down 17, 801. March Kansas City wheat down 15 to three quarters at 818 to three quarters. Spring wheat March down 17 and a quarter at 930. Livestock cattle trade is higher to start. February live cattle up 92, 138.02. April up 135, 140.145. Feeder cattle for March up 130, 161.15. Hogs under a little pressure. February down 587.40. April hogs down 87, 96.37. Crude oil up a dollar to a barrel, 86.62. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking agriculture, and in this segment, we're actually going to talk a little more technology. There's conversations going on in Washington, D.C., lots of conversations about competition in various marketplaces across the country. We in ag have talked about it a lot in the beef market in particular. We've heard conversations about uh, you know large input suppliers continuing to, uh, to come together, consolidation, and it's it's impacting other sectors as well. One place is technology. And the Senate last Thursday started started having a debate on the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. This is Senate Bill 2992. And uh, it's, it's an interesting discussion about how Congress views competition. Wayne Brow is the Policy Director of Technology and Innovation at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. Wayne, you've been watching this bill for a while. Can you give us the bullet points? What is Congress attempting to do with Senate Bill 2992? Yeah, well- just sort of a 30,000 foot view, um, what it does is it, t- it takes the big tech companies and, and it's targeted specifically at the large tech companies um, by defining what they call a covered platform. And if you're big enough and you have enough users online, suddenly you fall into this covered platform category. And once you do that, there's a whole series of restrictions on how you can act in the marketplace. And one of the, one of the probably the thing that they're trying to get at is if you own the platform and you're selling things on the platform, they think that 
there's some kind of concern that that might leverage you compared to other people that are selling on the same platform. So all these rules are put into place to restrict the ability of the owner of the platform to say, get a leg up on others on the platform. And really, Wayne, I mean, when this bill was first written, and I believe it was proposed by Senator Klobuchar of Minnesota, I mean, it's kind of narrowly tailored really to target Amazon, isn't it? Is there anybody else who would fall under its purview? Well, yeah, it, it's sort of the, the big four. It's, it's Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. All of those meet the definition of uh, of what a covered platform would be. And again, this is it, it, sort of going back to earlier versions of antitrust and so, or even the origins of antitrust in this country where there was this uh, notion that big is bad. And, and that is sort of coming back to in, in, in vogue again. And obviously, you know, there's been a lot of tech bashing over the last year. You know, there's on, aside from the, the market and competition questions, are they censoring people? So there's, there's a lot of, you know, the time is ripe to sort of go after big tech. So this is, is yeah, it's these four companies are, are in, in the crosshairs on this. Gotcha. On this particular bill. But Wayne, you said something right there that I think is the crux of the issue. The focus, the way we focus, Congress focuses, regulators focus on antitrust is changing. Uh, we're not all antitrust attorneys here, but uh, could you give us <laughs> back when we first had the trust busters in the early 20th century? What was what were they concerned about when it came to breaking up big businesses? Well, again, it was it was this notion that that big is bad, and and Standard Oil was the was the big target, and Ag was involved. You know, this the the refrigerated cars were coming on, and and railroads were getting more power, and there was this this whole notion that that things are getting too big, and these these companies are too powerful. Let's break them up, and this you know it funny for American history, you know, even this goes, this notion of big is bad sort of even goes back to Thomas Jefferson when he had this agrarian vision of the, the growth of uh, America. And, and so there's always been this sort of hostility to things getting too big. Um, but if you look at the data that, of what was happening, and in, in actually in all the core markets, in oil, in, in, in uh, steel, and all prices were actually declining in all of those markets when they de decided to step in and, and break up these companies. So, so it, there was a question of what's the difference between big is bad and consumer harm. And over the history of antitrust, we went away from that big is bad notion to well, if prices are falling, quality is improving, and innovation is expanding. Um, if there's no consumer harm, uh, there's probably not a need to break up that market. And that sort of came in vogue in the late 70s, early 80s, and has sort of guided the, the antitrust laws in this country since then. Uh, but right now, with the, the new administration, we're seeing a, a look back to more, more in line with the earlier versions of big is bad. And instead of just looking for consumer harm, they're, they're saying, if your company is this big and, and you're doing these many things in the marketplace, then you need to be regulated. So it's, it's a huge shift in the way we think about antitrust law. Man, it is a huge shift. And this bill specifically, Senate Bill 2992, does it have a House counterpart, Wayne? Uh, yes, it does. And it's, I can't recall, I think it's 3816 is the House bill, but it's, it's very, it's, I think the language is almost identical. So yeah, so this is something, um, and it, it, there's a series of bills in both the House and Senate um, on antitrust. And this is the one that first came to the fore. Um, but if this one, you know, there's, there's, if this one doesn't go through, there's four bills in the House that are going to be having hearings. I think there's two hearings next week in the Senate on, on similar antitrust bills. So, so you know, if, if this doesn't find, find its way to, to, the, to a vote in the, in the House or Senate, there's others right in, right in line behind it. So antitrust is a big issue and it's not going away anytime soon. No, it's certainly not. And, you know, when we think about this bill in particular and the way the views towards antitrust are changing, Wayne, it's not partisan. I mean, it's not this is a Democrat bill being pushed forward. This is a, this is a bipartisan bill. It's got Josh Hawley and a Cory Booker from New Jersey both signed on. What do you think this tells us about longer term where we could be going? Are we going to see a lot more government actions in all marketplaces? You know, I, I think we are, and, and if, if especially, well, well, we'll see what happens, and when these come to a vote, because we'll, there's a lot of you know positioning and, and things that go on. But at the end of the day, if it if this passes, it opens the door to a, a lot more. Um, so that that's a big part of it. But it, again, remember, I, I 
had just mentioned there was this, this whole anti-tech notion and there's a lot of conservatives who believe the big tech companies have censored them online. Um, there's a lot of people on the left who, who think that the tech companies are, are they're doing anti-competitive things. So it, it's a perfect storm of, of people across the spectrum. You're right. This is, is it's not a, a partisan issue. It, you're seeing it on both sides of the aisle, um, maybe for different reasons, but there, there's this hostility towards tech. And um, now they've, they've got a bunch of vehicles in the, in the House and Senate to, to try to make, drive their point home. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about competition. I need to bring the focus back to this particular bill because the way it plans to to modify the the economy, purchasing things online and so forth is is pretty big. Wayne, can you run through us again? We've got Amazon, we've got Google, we've got Apple, we've got Facebook. What would this bill do to, quote unquote, break them up? How would this limit their business practices? Well, it, 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 and it's again, it's important to remember that each of these have different business models, and it, which strikes me as odd to try and lump them all together in the first place. But some of the things they do are, are going to actually harm consumers. There's, there's this, what they call self-preferencing, where if, if you have an item that you sell that's competing with somebody else that's selling something on your, on your platform, um, you're subject to restrictions. And one good example of that is if, if you shop at Amazon, there's something called Amazon Basics which are, are cheap, very low cost, you know, say batteries or, or things like this that, that go head to head with, with brands. And, and every store every, in retail does this. You have, you know, Kirkland is the Costco brand. Target has about 40 something private labels. So it's a very common practice in sales, but this would be forbidden on, on the, under this new law. So Amazon wouldn't be able to necessarily compete selling its basics brand line against other batteries or other other products that that are being sold on its its platform and and with google for example one of the things you know if you're doing a search and you're putting you you're looking for a restaurant for example it'll pop up a map uh, a google map will show up in the search showing you where the restaurant is that may no longer be possible um, because that would be saying going against MapQuest or a, a, another, it's unfair competition to the, to these other mapping um, platforms or apps on, online. So those are the kinds of things. It, it's, it's actually because most software and most apps are all bundled together, and it's going to sort of break up these bundles. And, and in that sense, I think it, it leads to consumer harm rather than consumer benefit. Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day is I love having a Google map pop up when I search for a restaurant because that's my next spot when I'm online. It seems like it's odd that Congress is trying to raise restrictions between consumers and how they want to get to the product they're trying to get to. Wayne, that's very bizarre, isn't it? It, it? it is. And it goes back to this notion of, you know, we're in, in, the, in the legal world, it's called the consumer welfare standard, and that's what's been driving, as I said, since the 70s, 80s. That's how you assess whether the, you know, we need to intervene in the market. If consumer welfare is going up, there's really no need to do that. But we're, this, this bill would sort of abandon that approach and go back to this. And these are restrictions that uh, they were in common in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where you just looked at the size of the industry and you looked at, you know, you looked at how, how much competition is owned by the top four companies in, 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 that, in that sector of the economy. And then you just say, no, you can't do things. So it's a bright line sort of, if you're this big, you can't do this, which is definitely different than looking at it from the, what's best for the consumer aspect. Yeah, it is. Raises some new questions. Wayne, when will this bill be up for further discussion or a vote? Do we have an idea yet? We don't have an idea yet. I, I know they did rush this through. Traditionally, you know, the, his, the way Congress works is they're supposed to have a hearing, and once they have a hearing, to everybody can air their grievances. Um, then it goes to markup, where they try to tweak the bill and, and make it, you know, get it into a fashion that addresses everybody's concerns. But they rushed this bill without a hearing straight to markup. So um, they're they're in a hurry on this, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be hearing more probably late spring. Um, perhaps uh, in the fall if they can't, depending on what their, the congressional calendar looks like. Gotcha. And we'll be pushing up against midterm elections. Lots going on in Washington, D.C. Wayne Brow from R Street. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, happy to talk. Thank you. And folks, when we return, Todd Neely from DTN will be with me. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on AOA, Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from Stone X, is joining me. And Josh, urea price is down for the second week in a row. Is the peak behind us? We're uh, we're finally starting to kind of get ahead of this thing. It seems like we've killed enough demand. You know, we've got production back up and running here globally. But at the same point. Some of the stuff going on with Russia, you can certainly paint a picture that we've got another peak in front of us. I think we've got a heck of a roller coaster ahead of us. How should producers be handling purchases? Of I think you've got to keep having a conversation out there with your supplier. We've always been, you know, focused on the, the pricing of it and supplies and things like that. But we've also got to remember, we're midway through January. We are not that far away from spring starting up. And as hard as it is for a lot of the farmers to pull the trigger on buying the product, that retailer's in the exact same boat. The more we can have the conversation with them, and you don't even have to pull the trigger, but at least give them a heads up of, hey, I need this much, I need that much for this time frame, that time frame. Give them a fighting chance for trying to get those supplies in place so that they're ready for you when you show up on the door. For the information important to rural America, join us on AOA. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, we finally got some movement on Proposition 12 out in California. We've been waiting since the uh, the first Friday in January about news as to whether or not the Supreme Court will hear the challenge. Well, we still don't know if they will, but a state court in California has made some moves. Todd Neely from DTN joins me. Todd's been covering this story. And bring us up to speed. Todd, what happened yesterday in California? Hi, Mike. Yeah, actually, a court on Monday... Uh, Superior Court in the Sacramento County, uh, they issue basically a, um, a halt of the enforcement of the rule. And uh, the reason behind that is that at this point, uh, the state of California is still far behind in issuing uh, final rules and regulations um, to implement Proposition 12. Um, you know, we're talking two years plus. And so uh, a court in California on Monday basically uh, gave animal. Um, Grocers and and other people affected by this law, they gave them probably six months, about six months after the rules are finalized. And so, uh, where we're standing on that now, I'm not real sure when it comes to the state and its process. But uh, these rules have been long time coming, and I think um, you know we're still waiting on the Supreme Court. Uh, right now, uh, the Supreme Court has not issued a, a, a ruling on the petition whether it's going to hear the case or not either way and so uh the supreme court's next scheduled conference is february 18th and that's when the justices meet uh, and talk about cases and that sort of thing uh, but unless that uh, is expedited with the supreme court it's going to be something that's going to be later in the year at, at the very least Okay, and it's a 180-day stay after the publishing of the final rules and regulations. Are we close to getting those final rules and regs from California, or are we still, I mean, could this be another year? Todd, what have you heard? Uh, So far, we've not really heard a lot other than the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of state groups in California have been very vocal about this, Um, ag groups. Uh, grocery groups, all these people that are affected locally in the state uh, have been, you know, hot after the state on this for, for some time. And uh, it's really it's really kind of disconcerting because this is a law that is going to affect uh, pork producers across the country quite clearly. Uh, and the fact that we're still waiting on just the rules on how to comply with the law is is really tough. And so the fact that it's two years late already, um, it doesn't make you all that confident that the state's all that far down the road on this yet even. Gotcha. And, you know, it's it's incredible to me what California is requesting. One of the things I, I know you've written about they published back in December was they want everybody who's going to be a distributor of pork to get registered with the Department of Food and Ag. And then by 2023, they want every pork producer who will be selling pork into California to be registered. Todd, that law is still in effect. This was just a stay, as I understand it. Nothing has right. changed in California. They're just delaying enforcement, not even implementation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right on that, Mike. Although, uh, you know, if the state doesn't have the ability to enforce the law, um, you know, it it doesn't change the fact that pork producers and others out there are still having to comply. Um, So, yeah, let's not let's not take it that way to where it's, uh, you know, this is a free a free for all for the pork industry at this point. Certainly not. This is a law that's going to be highly uh, highly difficult to follow, and uh, there's a there's a lot of parts of it that I think uh, are begging the Supreme Court to to take a listen. And I, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the state does. I know that uh, you know they have been working on the rules for the program, but uh, there have been a number of, of things that just haven't quite been completed. But it's it's a it's a big deal, and no doubt about it. I think for pork producers already around the country are starting. Uh, you know, to make changes and do the things that they needed to com- to comply, uh, but they certainly need the rules on, on how to do that. 
Yeah, they certainly do. And those rules should be coming. The court did say in their decision, I thought this was telling about the future of Prop 12. They quoted in the judge said in the decision, quote, this court must be mindful of the act's concern about cruel confinements and the enforcement delay must not exceed a period that's necessary. So the, the mindset behind this law is still in place. Todd, while we've got you on the phone, we did get an update from the Supreme Court on the Clean Water Act. I understand they are going to hear that case. What does that mean for ag? Uh, yeah, Mike, you know, it's a big deal because, uh, you know, the, the Biden administration's in the in the middle of a WOTUS rewrite, uh, and we should have a proposal coming from them not that long down the road here. Um, and so at the center of that's going to be, you know, which waters are jurisdictional and which are not and how that's going to be defined. Uh, and the court in the Sackett case, uh, the Supreme Court agreed to hear that case again, and they're going to go back over uh, a ruling from the Ninth Circuit years ago. Uh, about, about how we determine what is a, um, a jurisdictional water and what isn't. And so that likely, uh, that case probably won't be heard until like next fall sometime. Uh, we are well, you know, we're nearly at the end of January here. And typically, uh, if, there's a, if there's a case that's granted or, or a petition that's granted, uh, it's usually going to carry over into the following uh, term of the court, which would begin in October, I believe. So um, that one's a ways off, and uh, it'll be interesting, though, because uh, the Biden administration, like I said, they're going to be releasing a proposed rule uh, probably within the next few weeks, um, and we'll see if they, uh, if they respond at all to what the Supreme Court's doing. And you said they're going to hear the Sackett's case again. Todd, this is their second time on this issue to the Supreme Court. It is, and, uh, you know, the, the court before, it never really came out with uh, you know what? What type of what type of questions are we answering when when we when we look at waters? You know what what needs to fit in order? Uh, you know in the law. And so there's there's a couple different schools of thought with this, and I think it's something that's created quite a bit of confusion over the years as to uh, as to what is jurisdictional. And so the court's going to uh, decide on that very narrow question. You know which. Uh, which way are we going? Is it significant nexus or is it, uh, you know, surface water connections? So it's, it's a big, oh. it's a big deal. Lots to keep an eye on coming out of Washington D.C. Todd Neely, thanks for bringing us an update. Thanks very much. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking more potentially about that Clean Water Act case in front of the Supreme Court. Thanks for listening to AOA. Have a great day, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.